there, and thanks for listening to Call of the Week. I'm Ginger Rousey with the UT Institute of Agriculture, and our guest is Dr. Scott Stewart, Integrated Pest Management Specialist here with UT. Uh, Scott, good morning. Good morning. I don't know that climate change is necessarily your top call of the week. Definitely not. Definitely not. I haven't yeah. had a call yet this week. <laughs> it may be after this podcast airs, however. Uh, so we're going to break slightly from the format of our top call, but to go to a topic that frankly, really interests me, and, and I think will interest a lot of you out there. Scott has been involved with a research project that's evaluating temperature and precipitation levels across our state uh, over the last 60 years. So, Scott, I mean, I guess the ultimate goal here is to see if there is climate change and maybe how it's affecting insect dynamics. Yeah, well, we're actually doing some training of agents to to try to teach our stakeholders how they can adjust to, to climate change. And, and so really I just started mining and asking my, my folks that work for me to help mine some of the weather data that was out there in Tennessee. And it was kind of enlightening actually. And, and first I think you gotta keep in mind that if you look at the long-term weather data in Tennessee and you go back 60 years, which isn't really very long, mm-hmm. most of those weather stations are in urban areas. It's very hard to find places in truly uh, rural areas, so you, you kind of have to have that backdrop there because we already know cities tend to be warmer mm-hmm. than the countryside. Now, having said that, I think that's a pretty good indication that at least at some scale that people can modify the climate. And it was really pretty remarkable because I looked at weather data in Memphis area, Nashville area, and, and Knoxville area, and the last 30 years compared to the previous 30 years was substantially hotter, particularly in some of the winter months, this, this time of year, January and February. Temperatures three to four degrees Fahrenheit higher than the previous 30 years, which is a pretty remarkable right. change. Four degrees is pretty substantial. And, and, and across the board, even in, even in the rural areas, it seemed from looking at your data, January seemed to be warmer. So. Yeah, yeah, we looked at one weather station in Martin, for example, which isn't super rural because it's mm-hmm. developed, but that same trend was there. It was less dramatic. Uh, but again, that January, February time frame was, was kind of interesting that it was substantially warmer. And of course, if you're increasing your wintertime temperatures, you could have a lot of effects on things like overwintering survival of some insects. So, so I thought it was very interesting. I, I think if you look at uh, the worldwide data, mm-hmm. and there was a report that came out last year, last week actually saying that 2019 was the second hottest year on record. The previous hottest year was 2016. So that's kind of interesting that two of the hottest years in the last 100 years or more that they've been keeping up with this has been the last out of the last five years. Your data also found that it was wetter, particularly in the in the urban areas. Particularly in the urban areas, but if you looked historically and compared, to, compared those to nearby uh, rural areas, the rural areas were wetter. So the urban areas were kind of drier, but the change is making them, I guess, catch up a little bit, a little bit more rainfall. I think it's interesting if you look at all the models and the data, really Tennessee's in an area of the world that really these temperate areas are going to be less affected than some of the polar areas, but they're still predicting a couple of degree Fahrenheit change in the next 30 years or something like that, which is not insignificant. Yeah. Did this surprise you, your results at all? I mean, what, what were your thoughts going into the study? Well, I'm not a denier, but I have not studied climate data, and I'm still not a climate guy. And I, again, I think you have to temper that I looked at just a few locations in Tennessee, and there's a lot of urban influence. And I would suggest a lot of that temperature change in the last 30 years is because of urban sprawl. Uh, 
but still the dramatic swing that we saw on average, I think, during the course of the year was a degree and a half, two degrees warmer in those cities. But again, three or four degrees in the winter is a lot. And that's a substantial climate change and, you know, clearly could have impact, at least in those urban areas on all kinds of things, plants, insects, diseases and pathogens and, and things like that. We're giving this training to growers in or really extension agents. What's the what's the response been? I'm curious. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's kind of a weird training because you're training extension agents to extend, train our stakeholders like growers how to respond to climate change. And climate change is a very long-term thing, despite what you hear. I don't think the world's going to end in, in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so you're training people that are likely not to see the benefits of, of anything they do or the, really the substantial impacts, uh, particularly when you think our farmers tend to be middle of age or older. Uh, you know, So everybody's a little bit, uh, why are we doing this? Uh, I guess my approach when I did the training was, well, we're always trying to educate people how to respond to climate changes, whether that's local climate or weather, essentially rainfall and drought periods. And, and those things are still very compatible with adjusting to climate change. You know, it's irrigation, it's soil water management, cover crops, no-till, it's all that long-term stuff. And, and I think all the training we normally do really a, applies very well. So anything we can do to make farmers respond to weather extremes helps them respond to the changing climate as well. Okay. When we talked about this too, how, how much of this is man-made and how much difference can we make really at this point uh, as far as changing it back <laughs> to what it was? <laughs> well, I'm a little pessimistic uh-huh. when I hear people say we got 10 years uh-huh. to, to you know, reduce our carbon. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a real challenge. If you look at the realities and logistics, you know, our world population is going up substantially. Mm-hmm. They require homes and fuel and more food and all, all this kind of stuff. So I think the best we could do is probably reduce the rate of, of carbon emissions. But, you know, I'm a, a pest management guy, integrated pest management. Our goal is always to reduce the negative impact or it's not the main goal, but one of our goals is as much as possible to reduce the negative impact of what we do in farming on the environment, you know, whether that's soil running off or fertilizer that's getting into the streams or, or pesticides getting on things we don't want them on. And, uh, you know, I think we can make real progress there. And the industry's been forced to respond. Uh, the industry itself has set some pretty strict goals on itself to reduce carbon emissions, to increase production. And, and really probably the best thing we can do to minimize our impact is to increase the efficiency of our production more yield on less acres mm-hmm. uh, because that's really what's going to probably have the biggest impact on, on we still have to feed the world so the biggest impact is not to take up more land area uh, i guess overall if you look at agriculture you hear a lot about the negative impacts of agriculture on on the environment but really if you look at the numbers again it's really the people i mean the biggest impacts on the environment are the fact or cities things you might think they are industrialization fuel transportation all that kind of stuff has a lot higher carbon footprint we just need to do our share i think sure so if you had a final takeaway about how your results um could impact pest management going forward uh what would that be well, I, I think, uh, you know, if the world's warming, uh, Tennessee's going to become a little bit warmer. I think that's pretty obvious. And I've worked in a lot of, I grew up in Iowa. I worked in Mississippi and Alabama. And I can tell you, you don't have to go very far and you start running into insects you don't s- see as you go south. 
Uh, and I deal with my Midwest counterparts and they can't even relate to some of the insects that I deal with in Tennessee because they don't have those insects. So it's going to change things. We're going to start seeing a little bit different spectrum of insects. Uh, you know, we'll probably have invasives that come in, maybe more likely to establish because they won't have winter cold kill and things like that. So I think it's just, you know, pull up your bootstraps. We're going to see changes. We always see changes, but those changes may occur a little bit faster now. Okay. Very interesting. And I'm sure you'll be Publishing this data at a later date. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for discussing this with us. And thank you for listening to Call of the Week. I'm Ginger Rousey, and we'll talk next week. <laughs>